And welcome back to the Dynamic Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Saunders, and uh, we have a very interesting interview coming up in uh, just a moment with Alan Rich, who's president at the Nova Label Company. And um, of course, on this show, we love talking about innovation, new technologies, um, our commitment to bringing the worlds of fundraising together through unsiloed fundraising. But uh, one of the things we really enjoy doing on the show is shining a spotlight on parts of the industry that maybe don't get as much attention as they should, but certainly have critical roles in getting the mail out. Um, people who are um, who are performing tasks where the fundraising just doesn't happen without them. And we've certainly talked a lot about the unsung heroes in the production world, and definitely the world of labels uh, goes right alongside that, especially if you have a package that incorporates mailing labels, you know how challenging uh, it has been to come by labels uh, over the last few months. And here to bring up up to speed on, on all of that is Alan Rich, president at the Novo Label Company. Uh, Alan, uh, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for taking the time to uh, uh, be with us today. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate the invitation and the uh, opportunity to talk to you about this. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, we want to get into everything and talking about where things stand with label availability, some of the um, issues behind uh, that are unique to labels that many uh, people in the industry may not know about. Um, but first we want to know uh, more about you and your story. So if you wouldn't mind, would you kind of take us back through your career, let us know how you got into the business and uh, ended up where you are today at the Nova Label Company? Well, let's see, I guess it goes all the way back to 1985 when I first started full time. I was in college and uh, uh, my final started the company in 82. Uh, he had been with major label companies around the country and settled here in DC. And a couple of his customers uh, said, if you would start a label company, we'll get you started. They had a press that was uh, pretty much on the floor waiting to be used. So he finally said sure, and uh, you know, at, at that time, our largest account was Giant Food here in the DC market. Uh, so we were doing all the labeling for their in-store and warehousing. So the stipulation there was that if Giant were to move their business here to Nova, then um, uh, he would open up and we started in a small warehouse in Tyson's Corner, hence the name Nova, Northern Virginia and uh waited i guess two years before some warehouse space opened where we are currently in chevrolet and i worked summers in production through college and of course at the time i was dating who is now my wife uh but uh, he was not it was a stipulation that if i got married i got the job he, he wanted to hire me no matter what <laughs> So the whole, you know, the, the whole thrust was to kind of get all the eggs out of the giant food basket uh, and, and get more sales that he wasn't able to do on his own and put me out there and, and cultivate some new work and reduce uh, the giant food percentage so that it wouldn't put us out of business if he lost it all together. So uh, that happened. I started full-time in 85, did sales, and then... Um, I guess it was election 
year 1988 is when I kind of started getting or finding direct mail work. Um, the mailbag had contacted me for some piggyback label, which basically it's a label on top of a label. So you apply it to the envelope and then the recipient can peel the top off and it's an interactive device. And it's like, we had not really run that many at the time because it was very expensive material at that time. So we weren't doing much with it. Um, so it was actually, I think I got connected with Elise Buck at, at the time when she was at the mailbag. So we did a couple of small jobs and then got connected with uh, some associations in DC and started to make friends and connections with other mail shops. And then somebody said, you should join DMAW. Uh, I said, what was that? <laughs> so we did and then um, let's see, they had their annual, at the time it was called their annual expo, uh, which is now the bridge conference, which includes AFPTC. And that was a jumping off point to get a lot more direct mail work around town. And the best part was you're, you're making all these relationships and then all of a sudden these people leave, go somewhere else. So you thought, oh man, what's going on? Well, then they call you. And so you pick up some new business with another agency or association or whatever. And so it kind of snowballed from there. And um, direct mail was a really small percentage of our work for probably through the mid to late 90s. Uh, we were still in heavy into food packaging and industrial labeling and uh, other kinds of label labels for packaging in general. And then direct mail just started taking off. And it's probably at this point, 72 to 75% of our work is, is direct mail related in some capacity. So uh, we've made a lot of friends and, and uh, a lot of strides over course of, of that time since the early mid 90s. Yeah, and what I love about your story is it highlights the importance of relationships and the direct mail world. Um, a lot of people who are outside of it don't know a lot about the industry, but it is a very um, tight knit industry where people have uh, intensely loyal relationships to people that uh, provide quality work and that they enjoy working with. And, and clearly uh, the growth of, of your company is evident of that. So that's a, an incredible story to hear over four decades. I do want to ask before we get into kind of the state of, of labels, um, mailing labels, especially in the nonprofit world, it is so foundational to so many packages, whether it goes on the outside of the envelope or uh, its premiums on the inside of the envelope. And I think it's something that, um, like many aspects of production, uh, fundraisers just haven't had to put a lot of thought into. It was just something that was there, you knew you could get. It wasn't something that you had to think a lot about. Um, how is it for you, having done this now for close to four decades, where there's a real spotlight on the services that you're providing. People are having to learn a lot more about how mailing labels work, how they're made. Um, do you think there's a long-term benefit to that? Or is it the kind of thing where you, you wish that we didn't have to pay attention to that end of the industry because of the issues that are, are drawing that attention? Uh, it's a tough one. You know, 
the freemiums freemiums have been around forever and it drives the package like you're saying and for the longest time i thought you know we jumped into doing the wide web name label form back in 2000 um to, to expand what we were doing we needed to you know buy new press and jump into that realm and that was something i I actually swore off for the longest time because of the competition, the pricing, and, and what people were getting. So we decided to go ahead and go for it anyway. And I really thought that at some point that it's such a saturation that name labels would have actually gone away and something else would have taken its place and performed better and tested better. It hasn't happened. It's crazy. The name forms year after year people are using them it's growing uh we're doing more and more of it and the only thing that i wish that the clients would do would be more creative you've got this big 18 by 11 18 by 14 piece of paper and they they put little name stickers and maybe an envelope seal or something and it's it's not overly creative and I always say, you've got this big piece of paper. You can die cut it any way you want. Do something different. Try something different. Well, in nonprofit world, change is not good. And if something's been testing and something's been a control and you make a change and the recipient is like, oh my God, they changed the label. I'm not going to donate. Is the mentality, is that really the mentality? You know, I get this stuff in the mail. I scrutinize it because I'm in the industry, but the label sheet doesn't sway whether I'm going to make a donation. It's the messaging. It's the organization. And that, so I got a premium of some, of some stickers. That's just great. But if they were a little bit more jazzy, you're not paying any more for it. It's just dress it up, but it's been the same for years. Uh, and I try and press, people to, to, to change it up a little bit and rarely does anybody actually take advantage of that which is kind of unfortunate I, I think that's that's really solid advice um we have seen um uh, just from opening mail myself i've seen some organizations start to shift more towards um mission or story relevant um labels where uh they moved away from kind of just the old school mailing labels where we're giving this to you and we're just hoping that you match the reciprocal value and give us a donation where it actually kind of adds a layer to the story. I think that's still really interesting. I agree. I don't see nearly as many organizations doing that in part, probably because um, when something has been done away uh, a certain way for so long, it gets that much more difficult to, um, to test away from it. Um, a lot of inertia gets created. Uh, are there are there any examples of innovative tactics or strategies that you've seen with artwork on the label that um, you think would be a, a good case study for an organization that is thinking about testing something different than what they've mailed over the years? I guess the one of the more creative ones that we've done is for the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation or for the Marine Corps Museum, um, they run probably, well, let's see, I've got probably 10 or 12 different die cut configurations. And the images they're printing 
they do mix it up and they are really a lot of times it's pretty cool it it makes for a busy sheet but the images are really nice and what they're doing uh is probably the most creative uh that i've seen and that we've done uh, there's been I don't know. Ron McDonald House, some various ones there have had some pretty good looks because of the illustration factor that they were using, uh, especially during the holidays. Uh, those those were pretty cute. Uh, actually, there was one we did do years ago for NASCAR. It was the weirdest thing. It was a small run, and it was a, it must have been a, maybe they may have a foundation or something and so it was an amp by 14 sheet and there were image pictures of, of, of race cars on the stickers and the way the whole thing was because the color scheme of nascar is so great it really made the whole thing pop with the yellows the reds the oranges the blues um that was actually completely different um Outside of that, thinking through it, nothing else like stand out in my brain that, oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, no, those are great examples. And I, I think it comes down to when the, the donor gets the mail piece, um, a freemium doesn't have to be perceived as a freemium. We've all had that, um, that thought process when we got a mail piece from a charity where there's mailing labels on the inside and they say, oh, well, they want me to give a donation because they're providing me with labels, but it's just a different, deeper experience, I think, for the donor when they get something that clearly is connecting to the mission or to the organization. And you know, you you can you can you can give somebody labels and still develop a institutional connection to your organization or an emotion, a really solid emotional bond to your mission. You don't have to pick one or the other. I think sometimes we still kind of have that siloed thought process. And the examples that you cited are, are great mini case studies of organizations that seem to be doing that just that. So we appreciate you sharing. I, I, um, I'm going to come back to the supply chain issues, um, but just kind of jumping off of this conversation, there's there is this age old debate, not just within the fundraising world, but really advertising and marketing in general about art versus science. And now that debate is kind of evolved towards data versus art, where the focus is on building the best models, of course, mailing the best list. That's the world that I operate in every day. Um, but you can have the best data in the world, the most finely tuned model in the world, but you still have to get the prospect to open the mail piece. Can you talk a little bit about that and the the role that getting the artwork right still plays in a world where we have uh, such incredible data targeting capabilities? Definitely, I think that you know for art, uh, it starts on the envelope because that's what you see when it, when you get it. It's and it, it 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 it's interesting and crazy to me that if I get a generic number 10 that has no printing on the outside of it. It's really plain. There might be this weird return address that's printed, but to my eye, you know what that is. It's from a nonprofit, but to an average person, it's just a piece of mail. And 
yeah, it's piqued of curiosity. Why am I getting a white envelope with nothing on it? I need to open and see what's on the inside. Now, does that actually work in the majority of the cases, or does printing a full color envelope that's both sides in your face, wow, like they do with the, uh, the zoos or any of the animal uh, conservation organizations that, in fact, do that on potentially a glossy envelope, does that get more response because it's such a wow factor of this cool envelope that might have a big window that's on it as well so you can see what's the letter or something that's in it poking out at the same time. You know, I'm not, that, that, that's one thing on data is I'm not, never privy to what tests well and how and why. So that, you know, I'll periodically ask that question and get such a high level answer that's like, that makes no sense. <laughs> or you end up with this mail piece that has a four page letter in it. Do people read a four page letter? I mean, my attention span is like this. So if it's one page or a couple of paragraphs and I can breeze through it and make a decision, that works for me. But to flip through and see that there's four pages that are single spaced and potentially both sides, that's a lot of copy. So I, I don't know, but you know, certainly with, you know, we'll get to supply chain, but with what's available, you know, and with what postal rates are and where they're going, you know, number 10, six by nine, nine by 12, do people, you know, is, is sending something out bigger really better or just just costing you a lot more money and you're just not getting, you're just stuffing an envelope and stuffing a mailbox and nobody is opening it up. I've actually lately, speaking of that, get, get home and see lots more 9x12s in my mailbox. So I don't know if there's a shift or if people are thinking, let's go bigger because the 9 by the, the number 10s are always out there. Let's do something completely different and make it bigger instead of graphically changing a number 10 or a number 9 envelope. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the psychology behind what that is supposed to do or what the intent is supposed to be. And then we do, and then we'll do labels that get affixed to the outside, the, uh, the corner address label or a faux sticker, or even a tagline sticker that might get affixed at a skew for an attention getter. And they might just be running a, a plain, that, that may go on a plain white envelope as well. And you just enhance it with with a sticker on the outside. That appears to work because we do millions and millions of that. It's crazy. Uh, so I don't know. You might know better than me. I think um, nine by twelve. Although this is not always the case. Often that's the high dollar mail piece, and I like that. It's such a small detail, but I like that having um, a physical label um, uh, for the the to the recipient because even though if we intuitively know that a uh, mail piece is mass produced it just kind of sends that subtle signal hey this was touched by a human being and and I still think those things matter a lot um, for just getting the attention and that microsecond that you have 
where the the donor or the prospect has to decide, hey, this is garbage or I'm going to open it, that something like that still matters quite a bit. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. And 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 um, getting getting back to the the topic about you know data versus art. Um, I don't think it has to be a choice because I've personally seen instances where artwork on the outside of an envelope was so effective that the artwork actually expanded the range of lists we were able to mail. So of course we had our model data, we had our core market lists, um, but we were able to mail into secondary and tertiary type lists and really expand the mail plan. And, and we knew through AB testing that a big reason for that was because of the artwork. So it's just a good reminder that these two worlds have a lot in common. They should talk a lot more than they do. Uh, they definitely should not be, you know, siloed off into different conversations because working together, uh, they could really help uh, a mailer grow their footprint. Um, so I, I appreciate uh, that your perspective and everything you shared there. And yours um, too, because that, that's, that's good for me to know because if, if creative comes up and somebody says, here's what we want to do, I can say, well, from my conversations, what I'm hearing, you know, you can balance both and get a good bang for the buck either way. You know, and, and to, to touch on what you're saying about the human touch, we, uh, RealPen has really just skyrocketed. And, you know, unless you don't know, it's a machine that's doing the handwriting, but between that on the envelope and uh, potentially that on Post-its, because we're doing a lot of Post-it sheets that mm -hmm. go through RealPen and get personalized. So you stick a post on the inside, and to your point, somebody opens it and it looks like somebody wrote a personal note to that person as well. So that that other layer, even though it's mechanical, it looks like it's handwritten and somebody actually did this. So that, that's been working great too. Where this gets really interesting for me is, does the donor know that it was mechanical? Do they care? Are you just kind of... Um, triggering something where you're kind of taking them back to a place uh, away from the digitization of everything and, and, and introducing this human element into the package. I think sometimes uh, fundraisers, uh, if they've been doing this a long time, you become a little bit cynical to these things and say, well, that's a gimmick. Well, one, the donor doesn't always know that that's a gimmick, but it may not even matter because you're just introducing this human element. And, and we know that whether it's um, paper clips inside a package or uh, a handwritten font, uh, auto pen, as, as you mentioned. Um, I've even heard of a couple really cool things like uh, coffee stains and ink smudges and things that just kind of introduce these human imperfections that I, I keep hearing are effective. And I think that's, that's why, because everything is so automated, everything is so perfect. And here you are, you're giving the donor something that's humanly imperfect and um, I mean this is all the more reason to have these conversations with someone like yourself because it becomes really easy then to connect the dots between your experience what you're seeing out there and if you were to speak to a copywriter they would say that a lot of these things are working on the letter themselves and and then maybe testing uh, something like this on your labels is, is an extension of something that's working inside the letter. So all the more reason for more communication, fewer silos, more information sharing, which are all Definitely. founding missions of, of this show. So we appreciate you taking us there. That, that, that was a great conversation. I yeah. do want to uh, get to the state of um, 
of mailing label availability and how you've been impacted by paper shortages, supply chain issues. Maybe there's some labor issues in there as well we could talk about. So for those who don't know, can you kind of walk us through the last few months and just give us uh, the general state of what the availability is for mailers that uh, incorporate labels in their packages? Well, between January 1st and April 14, there was a strike in Finland that is the largest manufacturer, UPM, of paper or pulp mill making paper in the world. And so everybody thought, okay, it'll last a couple of months, no big deal. Well, it went four months and with demand, just the general growth of demand for labels because of e-commerce, shopping. I mean, it just, everything grew and the Amazon effect, Walmart, everybody else, more and more paper was being needed and the supply was, was being reduced. And so um, it put a huge strain on the label industry because for labels, it uses twice as much paper because you got the label plus the liner. So in March, the mills started providing allocations to everybody to straining this thing out so nobody was hoarding paper. So when you're doing address forms, you're using a ton of material. And so you could, and, and the lead times, even before they started allocations were 60 to 90 days just to get your paper in. So we started taking orders. Basically it was a futures market. I had to take POs just to order paper and allocate it for a job that was gonna be three or four months down the road. So the, the strike got worse and then less and less inventory was able to be had and even though there are some domestic paper mills, not enough to pick up the slack that UPM left. And those that were major uh, customers of UPM product were then shifting to other mills to try and get either more of that paper or anything domestic. So that put a strain on you know, the regular customer of that mill that gets it all the time and they're taking on new work. And it's like, why aren't we being treated, you know, with a little bit more priority? And so, you know, fortunately, I've got three mills I can work with. But, you know, the major one for UPM, that was, a, you know, it's a four or five month lead time for the paper. It was, in, it's insane. So I was thinking that had this strike, they extended it to the end of April, and then it was gonna extend it to mid-May if there was not going to be an agreement. My thought was, if it went into May, and seeing how depletion was happening, we could end up with no paper going into June, July. So we have, we've purchased basically all of our allocation through the end of the year to do the name, name label for. And we're literally booked production-wise through December with that. So it's a good and bad situation to be in. You know, you want to be busy, but you don't, you want to have a little bit of wiggle room to throw in a new job. So 
the the liner market has now actually created more of a problem because the semi-gloss face sheet there was a more or less there was enough of to keep things going the liners uh became a real issue so the allocation ended up being what you could get for your liner material which was about two-thirds half to two-thirds of what you could get for the label itself so the biggest issue is what we use our, our 50 pound lay flat for decals for sheeted product and for the name labels so it's just a, a little heavier sheet it's a little more stable and it's good for a lot of different applications there was none of that to be had so you're scrambling to be able to to get that going so fortunately fast forward strike over so paper mill going back to work now it's a function of getting the pipeline filled with raw material get from europe to the united states and then from there to the mills here to code and laminate that paper to the liner put adhesive on it and then send it to my dock so everybody thought when it was over that paper was going to show up on my dock in September. <laughs> I said, I don't know where you're getting that information from, but we'll be lucky to see the raw material from Europe hitting the, uh, the shores by September. And then by the time our mills here laminate and get the pipeline filled, it's still a six to nine or 12 month time frame to really soften the allocations and reduce lead times. I don't anticipate our lead times to be, I'm not even gonna call it normal, a little more manageable until early mid 2023. <laughs> so I'm anticipating still running into big problems until the mills say otherwise, because I actually uh, questioned it two weeks ago and they gave me no indication of what's gonna happen. So they either don't know or they know and they don't want to say to get any information out just yet. So I'm hoping that they do make some announcements soon so we can kind of plan and tell the customers what we're expecting so they can plan their campaign. That's the worst thing right now is that nonprofits can't plan their campaigns because they don't know what they can get or what they have to substitute. I was afraid that labels were going to be gone forever because if they couldn't put a label in the package and found an alternative and then some miraculously it tested out even better than a label, that they would continue to do that. And I brought this up to a couple of people and they said, that's not going to happen because the demographic for labels are older folks. So they love their labels and we can't not mail them their labels. So it's like, okay, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I mean, one time I got a phone call from a colonel because he complained that the image didn't rank incorrectly. It had to get my name because all I did was make the label and send it to the mail shop for, for data personalization. So somehow he, I think he called the organization and they gave them my name because I made the label. So I knew who lasered it so i had them contact this guy and they reprinted his label wow 
That's see that that's that's incredible because it, it's a great anecdote because you know sometimes it's really easy to kind of talk about premiums or freemiums derisively, but it's important to remember there there is a a, a dedicated market. There's a reason why mailing labels have worked for as long as they have, and that's because there are people that look forward to getting them that that uh, you know maybe still mail out bills, that still mail letters, and they put a lot of value on getting these labels, right. and that's a big gap when they're not able to do that. So uh, that's the other. I mean that um, that experience I think matches up a lot with what we've seen with the supply chain. That we've all kind of had to learn about the supply chain on the fly, and a lot of these things, it's not like flipping on a light switch that you can't get back up to speed overnight. This, it takes months and months and months when you're, especially when you're talking about uh, raw materials. So you think that it, it probably a fair, a fair prediction is that well into 2023, we could be looking at the kinds of timelines that we've been managing this year. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, and that that's been the information even earlier this, uh, I guess February, March, that was the prediction that nothing was going to get cleared up until we get into well into 2023. Uh, so uh, I think I'm I'm still kind of in that camp that nothing's going to like you said the switch isn't going to turn on and all of a sudden overnight it's going to show up. It takes some time to get that stuff produced and and, and out the door. So so mailers that are dependent on labels. Uh, I would hope at this point that you've planned out your end of year, um, your, your end of year mailings and your needs. But really, I would think that organizations should really be looking at 2023 as a whole at this point and Definitely. trying to trying to get those orders in now to make sure they can have paper. And that that's something that um, that's a strategy that many of the mailers that I work with have used, even with things like uh, BREs um, is is estimating what their needs are going to be over the course of many months, or in some cases, depending on components, even an entire year, yep. uh, understanding that some of these things can be held on to, they could be carried over from year to year, um, which maybe that's part of the equation too, is making sure that whatever your labels are, it's not something that's going to become dated if you need to hold on to it. But um, but taking the best guess that you can about your needs and making sure that at least you can secure uh, the labels and make sure that you have them available for your packages. And, and I have to tell you, that's a real challenge in the nonprofit sector because there are so many mailers that have kind of been conditioned into fixed annual budgeting. And in even in many cases, just kind of looking at it mailing by mailing where the mailing goes out, you look at results, then you decide how much you wanna mail the next mailing. And, um, not just the label issue, but just paper in general has made it almost impossible to operate that way. And many organizations are, are needing to learn on the fly how to have a, kind of a longer view mindset and um, applying a, inexact science to to uh, determining their their uh, their paper orders. Oh, absolutely. And certainly if there's no envelopes, you're not going to be able to mail it because you, you can't put it in a Ziploc. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and, and envelopes have, even for the past number of years, has been an issue in some capacity with lead time. So now it's even worse, and people are saying it's you know upwards of 20 weeks or longer to get some envelopes made. So you know, if, if you can't get that, then there's no point 
you know, fighting to get letters and, and labels to go inside it because it's going to be impossible. But we, I've already been doing quotes for contract work in 2023. So people are making the attempt to plan and see. And, and with that, there's a caveat. This is a, this is a, a sketch quote because material costs are changing. So if that becomes live, we've got to potentially re-quote it. The paper prices have gone up since the time it was uh, introduced as a quote. Um, and, you know, who knows what we're going to be looking at come summer or fall anyway in general. So, but, but to go into 2023 and think about that right now, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, and that's the case with raw materials for anything that when you're talking about six or 12 months down the line, um, there's no guarantee. Uh, nobody knows where the price is going to be if things are going to just continue to get more expensive from here. That, that's a really good point as well for, for planning. Um, I, I, are you seeing that um, our organizations, our mailers, are they being nimble and adapting to the realities of the supply chain issues? Or are you seeing um, that some are struggling with having to kind of learn a new model on the fly here that requires uh, more advanced planning? At the very beginning, it was a, it was a struggle because first of all, people didn't believe us that we said, "Oh, there's a strike, and we don't we can't get paper or anything." Yeah, right. Where's there a strike? So once that got out, and people realized, "Oh," and then they saw their envelopes and whatever else being affected, the reality set in. And so once they're told day in and day out, and the, I mean, I sound I I was a broken record for months and then people were like, sorry for your plight. Okay, so we're gonna try and plan and I'll say, okay, great. If you wanted X, I need, you know, PO now to allocate and then we'll put you in the schedule, give me artwork, you know, four weeks out and then we can get it planned. So it, it took probably a good month, six weeks for people to kind of get in the groove that that's how you got a plan. And I would say 95% of everybody understood and controlled the plan. That small percentage of people that still must live under a rock and don't understand what's going on out, out on the street will call and be like, I've got to get this thing done and it mails next month. And it's like, did you not know the situation? And there is no paper. So, and even when after the strike was over, that same per that same one person that was beating us up then called back and says, "Strike's over. Can you get the paper and get my job out?" <laughs> you know, it's been a mailer's market for so long. It's a hard mind mindset to to shake because we've all become so accustomed. Well. You know, you, you can find somebody that can do this print job in, in two weeks, and now it's just not the case. And I and I totally believe that a lot of uh, it, it was hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around uh, just how dire things were going to get with the supply chain issues, just because um, we we just haven't been accustomed to that as an industry. I will say that your concern about um, mailers moving away from label packages, um, I, I have heard uh, some mailers that either on a gut roll or if they're able to test are now thinking about testing 
out of labels uh, to see if, if they're viable. But I, you know, mail mail is <laughs> mail is mail is very funny in this way that if that happens, I think what you'll see then is you'll see it come back because uh, then there'll be a shortage. And, and as you pointed out, there is a segment of donors out there that are rabid fans of mailing labels to say the least. And and I, I find that the whole debate between labels and non-labels, premium, non-premium, it's a little bit, I think it misses the mark in that we should be trying to determine who are the donors who uh, you get more value out of without a premium and who are the donors that won't give without a premium and trying to figure out those segments within your files and not reading too much into um, into an overall AB test or if you mail if you took a chance to mail without your labels and it worked out thinking that you just don't need them, that there still clearly is a section of donors out there that are going to be most responsive and are gonna provide the most value to your organization um, with, with labels. Uh, so I hope I hope organizations heed that advice. And I think I think they will just because these things have been such fixtures in the mail for, for such a long time. Yeah. Um, I'll, share, I'll share one idea with you that I, I was thinking of on this topic um, that I'm surprised we haven't seen more organizations which ran into uh, availability issues um, inserting a pub note, you know, saying due to the paper shortage, we were unable to include our mail, our, our labels, um, you know, please, please give us your name and address and we'll make sure to get them out to you as soon as they become available. I, I think, I, I think there'd be a certain segment of donors just based on what you're describing that would, would be interested in that and um, you know, who knows, they may end up giving just because you're putting that much thought into it. But I actually, I haven't seen any mailers um, outwardly address the paper shortage issue in the mail piece if it somehow affected the components. But um, I think that's kind of another one of those, you know, human factors where you're addressing real world problems and we're all aware on some level of supply chain issues. So I, I'm surprised that more mailers haven't been proactive about it, but that it's a very out of the box idea, but just well, something that came to me. It's interesting you say that because I was going to say, there's the creative that could change things. And it's such a small little thing that it could be negligible, but you don't know what impact it has on the donor. And it's almost like sending a thank you note. And it's just, just a small little note addressing what we're going through. And maybe they don't do it because they don't want them to think, wow, we're that organization spending a ton of money on putting this bag together and they're telling me they can't get material. Maybe there's a weird mindset there. So there's your science that you're talking about and you know the, the, the mental science of psychology of, of what the recipient might think. Would they be good with being told, oh, by the way, you're not getting your labels because we can't get our supply chain isn't getting it to us. So we don't, am I thinking, well, you don't value me or is it, well, thanks for telling me and I'll be happy to, you know, send you my address, something to test. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Absolutely. And, and plenty of, <laughs> plenty of time to do it based on your forecast. Uh, I think, there, I think there's so. A, a window left. Um, there's certainly a big window left before we get back to normal, uh, which actually, that's a good question as well, is when things settle down, uh, what do you think the new normal will look like? Um, this is something I've been trying to talk to you know, production folks about is, is, do you think we'll ever get back to where we were, where it was basically 
um, a mailer's market and mailers could get whatever they needed whenever they needed it? Or do you think things will settle somewhere in between where advanced planning will remain an important thing into the foreseeable future? I'm hoping that, you know, it, it's not going to get back to, for us, the, the just-in-time ordering of paper to get it in three or four days. I'm thinking the mills are going to be on a regular two-week lead time to be able to get papers into us, which means we have to plan a little further out for production, which then ends up being planning for the um, organizations to then continue to do what they're doing now. And I think if, if they've created a habit of planning way out to continue to do that and life will be much will go on much easier than having to run with a fire under your pants to get something done now that's not to say someone's going to go out with this messaging that is time sensitive and they've got to get that printing done and get it in the mail because otherwise it's gone that's going to happen but for a traditional acquisition or retention or whatever they're sending, renewals they're sending out, continue to plan. And I think your life is going to be much better. And you know, you could say maybe this was what maybe this is what we needed to kind of bring reality back. Forced innovation forced innovation. And and sometimes I think there's been a lot of that um, as a result of the pandemic and a number of industries. Yeah. And so everybody's been just running full tilt for so long that it just it's time to slow it down and really give it thought and put that planning together and be more strategic um you know what what kills me is talking about the data is i'll you know the, the, at the front end they might be mailing five hundred thousand pieces but by the time the proof goes out and you're getting ready to print they haven't gotten final counts yet. And it baffles me, how are you not knowing how many pieces you're gonna mail? You just said you were gonna do a half a million pieces. You must have some way of knowing at the front end, that's what your plan was. Why did it go to 300,000 or jump to 700,000? And that problem lies in that, whether we have a too much material or not enough material to run that job, and does that delay the print process, or does it cost them more money because we had to order custom material for that job, and then they reduced the counts, and then I got material that really isn't compatible with another mailing because it's cut a specific way for that piece for print efficiency. So you're going to pay for it potentially one way or another. So that that was I didn't get a good answer. We did the production. Uh, day last week, and I asked some people about that, and that has to do with what list you're getting. And again, there's some science in there that was over my head. Well, this that that conversation hits home with me uh, as a list broker, and I would say that I think the reason for that is historically, um, organizations may estimate how much they want to mail, and then when you go to do the list orders, go through results, and maybe the results are better than you had anticipated, and you want to order more names. And historically, you know, if you if you 
netted a couple hundred thousand names high. It really, it hasn't been a big deal. There hasn't been a lot of pushback. Um, and if you netted low, you know, the same thing. Now that's not the case. Now everyone kind of has to know how much they're ordering. And regardless of where the results stand, like you kind of are locked in to what you had projected because there isn't a lot of flexibility there. Um, letter shops don't want to be stuck uh, holding inventory, of course. If, you know, if they ordered 500,000 pieces, uh, they don't want to be stuck with 100,000 that they may or may not be able to use for another uh, client. And it's, it's not easy to just get more materials on short notice. So that's another one of those issues where I think we've kind of been conditioned to think, oh, there's flexibility here. You know, if we have the opportunity to mail more, we want to mail more. Um, and everything would just kind of get sorted out on the back end. And now everyone's having to learn that, no, we really are fixed into these quantities that we planned six months in advance. And I think that's just one of those shifts for the industry that um, is, is, is difficult just because it's something new, but I do see us adapting. And if we could get to a place where everyone kind of operates in more of a, a standardized structure, um, I think that'll be better for the business overall. So I definitely, it's interesting to hear the feedback from your end because I've been on the other side of it for so many years. That's good information to know because I'm hoping that it does actually kind of like settle down and numbers that come in are pretty close to what the numbers going out are going to be and it could be a smooth transition to get the work in, get on press, get it printed, not have to wait for somebody to hold, not hold my production hostage uh, just because of, of a couple hundred or a couple thousand counts. <laughs> right. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, we've been chatting with uh, Alan Rich, president at the Nova Label Company, and he's been very generous with our time. Our conversation's gone to a number of interesting places. I really have enjoyed this chat, Alan. Um, and as we prepare to wrap things up, um, just a final question for you. Uh, we've talked a lot about your side of the industry. Is there Are there any um, factoids about labels or just things that most other people in the business may not know about labels that um, you think is worth sharing with the audience? Oh, wow. Uh, there's, there's so many, I guess, different assorted materials available, be it paper or uh, vinyls, polys, polyester, static cling to use in all kinds of applications. Um, and, you know, I think most of the mailers are familiar with bumper stickers and window stickers, and then they want to come up with, you know, a, a different idea of how to use it. And if it's even feasible, so you have to kind of educate them on how the material works and how you print it. Uh, Cause certainly with window stickers, thinking that it's a clearer material, it's a, it's a mirror image that you print and then you back it up with white and then it goes on the inside of a window so you can see from the outside in. Uh, somebody might say, well, I want to give somebody both a, a regular bumper sticker and window sticker in one as one piece. And it can be done and we've done it. So you just have to, you, you print and then it's multiple color and then white goes down in two different, two different spots. And so you can get a right reading and a mirror reading decal on one sheet. So it's a little work, but that can certainly be done. That's tricky. Uh, 
you know, for, I think that through this whole ordeal of paper, I mean, people think that the paper, when it's now being made, comes in, it's, a, it's labels. But it's not, it's, it's a sheet of paper that then has to go to a second mill to be laminated and have adhesive added to it to make it literally a label so that you feel off and stick it on something. And so I always have to explain that the mill in Europe is just making the glossy paper, but there's no adhesive on it. It has to come to my mill here for that. And I have to explain the, our process versus offset, which is just cut sheet. And it could come in from Europe, it's done, they cut it, send it out, and uh, offset printers just print it and nobody knows the where. So, you know, it becomes kind of weird when you're explaining how labels are done, but then when you do and they see the process, it's just this all involved circle of, wow, this is pretty cool and how you do the die cutting and, and stuff like that. And I'll actually give, um, at production day, I brought a die with me so they could see how tooling works. And it's just a flat piece of steel, the flexible die that mounts on the magnetic cylinder. And that's pretty impressive technology. And that's been around for like 30 years. Um, but it's a fraction of the cost of a traditional steel rule engraved die that for a name label would cost like $5,000. And one of these flexible dies can run you five to seven hundred dollars. So when you damage it, you're not crying as much when you're <laughs> damaging a flexible die than a steel rule die. Uh, so, so labels are not just labels. It's it's dynamic, just like so many other different elements of marketing and fundraising, and um, and and clients and vendors should should really get to know more about the process, what's involved. I, I for me, this is. This has been a worthwhile experience, as difficult as it has been as a fundraiser, is getting to know more about how paper is made, what goes into it. And uh, same thing here, we're talking about labels, and it just kind of gets you a little bit closer to the end product, uh, more knowledge about just what goes into it. And, and, and I, I hope that this experience will make us all more well-rounded uh, marketers and fundraisers, because we'll just have a, bit, a better idea where the things are coming from and how they're made that ultimately go into the final product, which is made up of so many different moving pieces as we've all oh learned God. over the last few months here. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, and, and you, to, to go full circle with one of the first questions about art, uh, you know, you've got this 18 by 11 form that's got all these weird cuts in it. And the, whoever's doing the creative wants to work with something. Now, sometimes they won't ask for a die line and they'll create something with no die line in it. And so it's this blind image and you got to figure out how the cuts work. When it doesn't work, that's when you have to explain how labels are made and where perforations go and how fan folding works because they don't understand gutters, if you want to call it a gutter. We call it the matrix that gets stripped out so the perf drops down on the liner and that you have to build in your artwork with bleeds. I can't, you can't go one-to-one -one on the edge and your art image needs to be high res. 
better than 300 DPI. Otherwise, you got this weird raster look. And there's always an art education with that. And then when you do supply them with a dye line, you hope they can place those images correctly. And unfortunately, many times we get it back. We have to go back in and reshift because they missed the mark. <laughs> Don't quite understand that one. <laughs> well, Alan, thank you so much for your time and for the really interesting conversation. And if listeners would like to get to know more about you or to get in touch with the Novo label company, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, phone number is 301-386-4433 or email me, which I will respond almost immediately. It's Alan, A-L-A-N at novolabel.com. And uh, we're happy to assist and, and consult with anybody who has questions or comments or wants to get some labels done. Wonderful. We'll link to all your information in the show notes. Alan, thanks again. Feel free to come back anytime and keep us posted on how things are going out there. I will. Dan, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. 